O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, August 20th. I want to draw your attention to a pic on the navigation menu on the Daily Audio Torah website. It is found under Our Projects and Partners. Select Torah House Global Prayer Network. This is a call to believers throughout the nations everywhere to take a place on the wall of prayer and to raise up a standard against the rising tide of evil and lawlessness that we see in our nations and in our culture. Let me share with you from their vision statement. The Torah House is an imaginary space where we meet each Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. We all pray from our own location and in our own time zone. Together, we will enter into the virtual Torah house every Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m., your local time. His set-apart people will meet with Yeshua in his Torah house. Community prayer is of tremendous value because as we pray of one heart, mind, and purpose, great power is released in the heavens. We begin our prayer time with a great shofar blast and enter Yahovah's courts with praise. We come against the relentless tide of evil that is swallowing up the nations. We ask our Father to establish His Torah in our city, our region, and our nation. Each month there is a featured prayer theme for the month so that together we can focus our prayers on the prayer theme for that month. Go to thetorahouse.com to see the prayer theme for this month. To learn more or to sign up to become a partner, coordinator, or member, go to thetorahouse.com and find out more. Join with others throughout the nations every Friday night at 9 p.m. your time as together we raise up a symphony of prayer to Abba Father in seeking His face and crying out to Him for the remnant to return to the God of Israel and to His great and glorious Torah. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Kitetzi, and it means, When you go out. Deuteronomy 24, 1-22 A man takes a wife and possesses her. She fails to please him because he finds something obnoxious about her, and he writes her a bill of divorcement, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. She leaves his household and becomes the wife of another man. Then this latter man rejects her, writes her a bill of divorcement, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Or the man who married her last dies. 
Then the first husband who divorced her shall not take her to be wife again, since she has been defiled, for that would be abhorrent to Hashem. You must not bring sin upon the land that Hashem your God is giving you as a heritage. When a man has taken a bride, he shall not go out with the army or be assigned to it for any purpose. He shall be exempt one year for the sake of his household, to give happiness to the woman he has married. A handmill or an upper millstone shall not be taken in pawn, for that would be taking someone's life in pawn. If a man is found to have kidnapped a fellow Israelite, enslaving him or selling him, that kidnapper shall die. Thus you will sweep out evil from your midst. In cases of a skin affection, be most careful to do exactly as the Levitical Kohanim instruct you. Take care to do as I have commanded them. Remember what Hashem your God did to Miriam on the journey after you left Egypt. When you make a loan of any sort to your countrymen, you must not enter his house to seize his pledge. You must remain outside while the man to whom you made the loan brings the pledge out to you. If he is a needy man, you shall not go to sleep in his pledge. You must return the pledge to him at sundown, that he may sleep in his cloth and bless you, and it will be to your merit before Hashem your God. You shall not abuse a needy and destitute laborer, whether a fellow countryman or a stranger in one of the communities of your land. You must pay him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is needy and urgently depends on it, else he will cry to Hashem against you, and you will incur guilt. Parents shall not be put to death for children, nor children be put to death for parents. A person shall be put to death only for his own crime. You shall not subvert the rights of the stranger or the fatherless. You shall not take a widow's garment in pawn. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and that Hashem your God redeemed you from there. Therefore do I enjoin you to observe this commandment. When you reap the harvest in your field and overlook a sheaf in the field, do not turn back to get it. It shall go to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, in order that Hashem your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat down the fruit of your olive trees, do not go over them again. They shall go to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, Do not pick it over again. That shall go to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Always remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore do I enjoin you to observe this commandment. Esther 8, 1-10-13 That very day King Ahasuerus gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Ehudim, to Queen Esther. Mordecai presented himself to the king, for Esther had revealed how he was related to her. The king slipped off his ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther put Mordecai in charge of Haman's property. Esther spoke to the king again, falling at his feet and weeping and beseeching him to avert the evil plotted by Haman the Agagite against the Yehudim. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther, 
And Esther arose and stood before the king. If it please your majesty, she said, and if I have won your favor and the proposal seems right to your majesty, and if I am pleasing to you, let dispatches be written countermanding those which were written by Haman, the Agite, embodying his plot to annihilate the Jews throughout the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster which will befall my people? And how can I bear to see the destruction of my kin? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Haman's property to Esther, and he has been impaled on the stake for scheming against the Jews. And you may further write with regard to the Jews as you see fit. Write it in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet. For an edict that has been written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet may not be revoked. So, the king's scribes were summoned at that time on the twenty-third day of the third month, that is, the month of Sivan, and letters were written at Mordecai's dictation to the Jews and to the satraps, the governors, and the officials of the 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. He had them written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet. Letters were dispatched by mounted couriers, riding steeds used in the king's service, bred of the royal stud, to this effect. The king has permitted the Jews of every city to assemble and fight for their lives. If any people or province attacks them, they may destroy, massacre, and exterminate its armed force together with women and children, and plunder their possessions. On a single day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar, the text of the document was to be issued as a law in every single province. It was to be publicly displayed to all the peoples, so that the Jews should be ready for that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers, mounted on royal steeds, went out in urgent haste at the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in the fortress Shushan. Mordecai left the king's presence in royal robes of blue and white, with a magnificent crown of gold and a mantle of fine linen and purple wool, and the city of Shushan rang with joyous cries. The Jews enjoyed light and gladness, happiness and honor. And in every province and in every city, when the king's command and decree arrived, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the people of the land professed to be Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. And so, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar, when the king's command and decree were to be executed, the very day on which the enemies of the Jews had expected to get them in their power, the opposite happened, and the Jews got their enemies in power. Throughout the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the Jews mustered in their cities to attack those who sought their hurt and no one could withstand them, for the fear of them had fallen upon all the peoples. Indeed, all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's stewards showed deference to the Jews, 
because the fear of Mordecai had fallen upon them. For Mordecai was now powerful in the royal palace, and his fame was spreading through all the provinces. The man Mordecai was growing ever more powerful. So the Jews stuck, struck at their enemies with the sword, slaying and destroying. They wreaked their will upon their enemies. In the fortress Shushan, the Jews killed a total of 500 men. They also killed Parshandatha, Dalphin, Aspatha, Paratha, Adalia, Eridatha, Parmashta, Erisai, Eridai, and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamidatha, the foes of the Jews, but they did not lay hands on the spoil. When the number of those slain in the fortress Shushan was reported on that same day to the king, the king said to Queen Esther, In the fortress Shushan alone the Jews have killed a total of five hundred men as well as the ten sons of Haman. What then must they have done in the provinces of the realm? What is your wish now? It shall be granted you. And what else is your request? It shall be fulfilled. If it please your majesty, Esther replied, let the Jews in Shushan be permitted to act tomorrow also as they did today, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on the stake. The king ordered that this should be done, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan. Haman's ten sons were impaled, and the Jews in Shushan mustered again on the fourteenth day of Adar, and slew three hundred men in Shushan. But they did not lay hands on the spoil. The rest of the Jews, those in the king's provinces, likewise mustered and fought for their lives. They disposed of their enemies, killing seventy-five thousand of their foes, but they did not lay hands on the spoil. That was on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and they rested on the fourteenth day and made it a day of feasting and merrymaking. But the Jews in Shushan mustered on both the thirteenth and fourteenth days, and so rested on the fifteenth day, and made it a day of feasting and merrymaking. That is why village Jews who live in unwalled towns observe the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and make it a day of merrymaking and feasting, and as a holiday and an occasion of sending gifts to one another. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent dispatches to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Ahasuerus, near and far, charging them to observe the fourteenth and fifteenth days of Adar every year, the same days on which the Jews enjoyed relief from their foes, and the same month which had been transformed for them from one of grief and mourning to one of festive joy. They were to observe them as days of feasting and merrymaking, and as an occasion for sending gifts to one another and presents to the poor. The Jews accordingly assumed as an obligation that which they had begun to practice and which Mordecai prescribed for them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the foe of all the Jews had plotted to destroy the Jews and had cast pur, that is, the lot, with intent to crush and exterminate them. 
But when Esther came before the king, he commanded, With the promulgation of this decree, let the evil plot, which he devised against the Jews, recoil on his own head. So they impaled him and his sons on the stake. For that reason, these days were named Purim, after Pur. In view, then, of all the instructions in the said letter, and of what they had experienced in that matter, and what had befallen them, the Jews undertook and irrevocably obligated themselves and their descendants and all who might join them to observe these two days in the manner prescribed, and at the proper time each year. Consequently, these days are recalled and observed in every generation, by every family, every province, and every city. And these days of Purim shall never cease among the Jews, and the memory of them shall never perish among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Aviachil, wrote a second letter of Purim for the purpose of confirming with full authority the aforementioned one of Mordecai the Jew. Dispatches were sent to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the realm of Ahasuerus with an ordinance of equity and honesty. These days of Purim shall be observed at their proper time, as Mordecai the Jew and now Queen Esther has obligated them to do, and just as they have assumed for themselves and their descendants the obligation of the fasts with their lamentations, and Esther's ordinance validating these observances of Purim was recorded in a scroll. King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the mainland and the islands. All his mighty and powerful acts and a full account of the greatness to which the king advanced Mordecai are recorded in the annals of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew ranked next to King Ahasuerus and was highly regarded by the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brethren. He sought the good of his people and interceded for the welfare of all his kindred. First Corinthians twelve twenty seven to thirteen thirteen. Now you are the body of Yeshua, and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, and then gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my gifts to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunts not itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly, and it seeks not her own, and is not easily provoked, and thinks no evil. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know now in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Psalm 37, 1-11 Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So you shall dwell in the land, and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, you shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Proverbs 21, 23, and 24 Whoso keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who deals in proud wrath. I'd like to speak to you from The book of Esther, chapters 8 through 10, and then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 12. And in the book of Esther, in chapter 8, verse 19, it is written, 
So the king's scribes were summoned at that time, and on the twenty-third day of the third month, that is, the month of Sivan, and letters were written at Mordecai's dictation to the Jews and to the satraps, the governors, and the officials of the hundred and twenty-seven provinces from India to Ethiopia, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. The Israel Bible commentary to this verse reads as follows. This verse refers to the third month of the Jewish calendar called Sivan. Throughout Megillot Esther, the Hebrew months are referred to by both number and name. Rambam teaches that originally the months were referred to by numbers, with the first month being the month of redemption from Egypt, in order to commemorate the Exodus. During the Babylonian exile, however, the Jews adopted the Persian names for the months, which are used to this day. Just as the original numbering of the months included a reference to the exodus from Egypt, the Persian names recall the return of the Jewish people from the Babylonian exile and the land of the Persians. In this way, all references to the Jewish calendar contain a subtle allusion to the first redemption from exile and the re-entry into the land of Israel. Going forward, continuing on, chapter 9, verse 1, and so. On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar, when the king's command and decree were to be executed, the very day on which the enemies of the Jews had expected to get them in their power, the opposite happened, and the Jews got their enemies in their power. Now I have some beautiful scriptures that unpacks this verse even more. In other words, the very trap that Haman had set to destroy and kill all the Jews, that trap fell upon his own head. Literally, that happened. Haman built a gallows, or whether it was a gallows or an execution stake. Um, This version is talking about an execution stake, and he was impaled upon it. It was meant for Mordecai, and he himself was impaled upon it. Now, that same principle, the evil intent that was intended towards the Jews, the trap that was set, is now going to bite them in the butt and come back upon them on their own heads. This principle we see in several other places in the scriptures. In Psalm 69, verse 22, let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. In Psalm 7, verse 15, he made a pit and dug it, and it's fallen into the ditch which he made. Let me say that again. He made a pit and dug it, and now he is fallen into the ditch which he made. And finally, in Proverbs 26, verse 27, whosoever digs a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolls a stone, it will return upon him. Now, this idea, this concept of something uh, that was once a day of mourning and fasting and tragedy turning into a day of feasting and joy is further shown in Esther chapter 9, verse 22, where it is written, The same days on which the Jews enjoyed relief from their foes and the same month which have been transformed for them from one of grief and mourning to one of festive joy.
They were to observe them as days of feasting and merrymaking, and as an occasion for sending gifts to one another and presents to the poor. Now this verse, I believe, is tied deeply to another verse, and that is Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Savayot, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. So this verse that I just read from Zechariah is covering all the days of fasting that the Jews observe. And it includes the fast of the ninth of Av. And the ninth of Av is a dark day in Jewish history. On the ninth of Av, the ten spies came back with the negative report. And because the people went into unbelief and fear, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. On the ninth of Av, the first temple was destroyed. On the ninth of Av, the second temple was destroyed. On the ninth of Av, the final solution concerning the Jewish problem uh, was unveiled and executed in Nazi Germany. On the ninth of Av, the doors of Treblinka were opened uh, to begin the death camp for the Jews. Uh, and on the tenth of Av, the Gaza Strip was evicted. It was originally scheduled for the ninth of Av, and then they realized, oops, so they moved it up one day. And so this is a day throughout the world when Jews observe this day and they mourn, they fast, they remember all the terrible tragedies that have happened to them throughout history. And yet God is saying here that that day is going to become a day of feasting and joy and celebration. And so I believe that verse is deeply connected to what we just read in Esther, verse 22 of chapter 9. Uh, I'll read it again. The same days on which the Jews enjoyed relief from their foes, and the same month which had been transformed for them from one of grief and mourning to one of festive joy. So how is God going to accomplish that? Perhaps one way that he is already in the process of accomplishing that, of causing this prophecy to be fulfilled is through a work that he is doing through the nation's ninth of Av. And now they're in year four of the move. Um, and so several years ago, a call went out to the believers throughout the earth of all streams and denominations of all nations, of all creeds, uh, to come to Jerusalem on the ninth of Av and on that day to repent of all of the sins and heinous and horrible crimes have, that have been committed against the Jews in the name of Christ and to spend that day mourning and fasting and repenting because we do have blood on our hands and to repent for the sins committed by our church forefathers. And there's a promise that God has for those who will do that. It's found in Leviticus 26. Verses 40 
to 42. And in those verses it is written, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, and I would say the iniquity of their church fathers, church forefathers, with their trespass, which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity. And what is that punishment? They're scattered to all the nations. They live in exile. They don't live in the promised land. Verse 42, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. And so in taking responsibility for the sins of our church forefathers, the sins, the horrible crimes, the horrible murders that have been done against the Jewish people in the Inquisition, the Crusades, the Holocaust, and even the current modern-day anti-Semitism against the Jewish people. When we take responsibility for that and when we repent for these sins, the Lord is promising that he will remember his covenant with Jacob, with Isaac, and with Abraham. What covenant is that? The covenant that was given to Abraham and to his seed is I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you this land that you can see to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And your seed, Abraham, will be more numerous than the stars of the sky and of the sand of the seashore. We are, by faith, Abraham's seed. Not literally by DNA. But by faith, we are grafted in. We are Abraham's seed. And so that covenant that God made with Abraham is a covenant to us. So now let's wrap up and conclude and go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. And it is probably one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. And Paul says, Yet I show you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? It's the way of love. It's not the way of knowledge, because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love is the peak and the pinnacle of following the Torah. It's the top of the mountain. It's the Mount Everest of the entire Torah. Yeshua said, um, in reply to an, a question, um, how, how do I, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon this, all of the Torah and the prophets hangs. And so, in this beautiful passage, he's saying, if I speak with the tongues of angels but don't have love, I'm just a loud, clinging, brass symbol. If I have prophecy and understand all these mysteries, and I move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love is long-suffering 
and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not vaunt itself or puff itself up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek her own, is not easily provoked, and thinks no evil. It is so refreshing to read this passage because it basically gives us a clear picture of what true love really is. The world tries to give us definitions of love. Through our movies, through commercials and ads, through romance novels, the world offers its definition of love. But yet, this definition, this portrait of true love, unconditional love, agape love, is what matters most. And it comes straight from the very heart of Yeshua. This is how he would have us to walk. This is how he would have us to treat one another. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his brethren. And in the world, our flesh, we tend to be self-centered. We tend to be selfish. We're looking out for number one. And yet, we are to lay down our lives for one another. And we are living in times where we need to be doing that. There is great peril, great danger, Um, medical fascism, medical tyranny is marching throughout the nations with mandated lockdowns, mandated masks, mandated jabs. And so many are laying down their lives and making tremendous sacrifices to get the truth out so that we might be able to possibly gain some freedom back with all of this, uh, censorship and fascism. We are to walk in the love of Yeshua, even towards our enemy, even toward those that would want to silence us, squash us, oppress us, uh, who are on the wrong side of the war. We're to love them. And so I leave you with that thought today. Let us love one another. Shalom. Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. 
Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.